Welcome to Fandom and Wellness, a podcast about the complex relationship between fandom and mental health. Disclaimer, we are not psychiatrists or psychologists. We are just fangirls with a vested interest in mental health. I'm Arkita. I'm Jenny. And I'm Danielle. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about Birds of Prey. Yay! The fantabulous life of what? <laughs> it's now a Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, and then and the fantabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn. One Harley Quinn. Wait, Harley Quinn's name is in the title. Tw- whatever. They changed it because they thought it would make better sales at box office. Whatever. If it had her name at the beginning. Yeah, I because they know. claimed that it bombed opening weekend, even though it did not. It did not. There was every fucking article was it bombed. I'm like, how did it fucking bomb? It made less money than Batman v Superman, which has two extremely popular superheroes. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, isn't Wonder Woman also in that? Yeah. Yeah, something like three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, I wanted to talk about our favorite scenes from the movie first. Um, I think that, like, the scenes that stood out the most to me were the action scenes, which Mm -hmm. is, I think it's just hilarious that this female-led superhero flick is, like, has the best, like, action scenes um, I've seen in, like, a superhero movie or even an action movie in, like, a long time. Yeah, definitely. Especially the scene where Harley Quinn goes into the police station in um a in her in that in her disguise. In that, <laughs> in that disguise. I was like, did Ar- is that Arkita's outfit? <laughs> Honestly, I thought about oh wearing God. something like that. So <laughs> it's canon now. <laughs> oh my god. You just so might good. see me at Dragon Con in that outfit. Yeah, your Dragon Con lineup is just going to be outfits from that movie, I feel it like. probably <laughs> is, and I'm really upset that there's only one Harley Quinn meetup. No. Uh, you, you will, you'll, you'll find a way to be in as many photos as possible. Oh, you, you better believe it. <laughs> um, another uh, fight scene, well, the action scene I really liked was the one where she was roller skating behind the motorcycle and then the cars <laughs> yeah. towards the end. That was kick-ass, because I don't think I've seen a scene like that no. ever before. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, I like <laughs> I like when she lit the guy's, be- the guy's beard <laughs> on fire, <laughs> oh my God. and I wonder how many men shaved their beards after watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, was I like that because it was so instantaneous. It, yeah. Yeah, I was just out for Valentine's Day. And the bartender was making our, he was making our drink and it required fire. And he was like, oh, don't want to catch my beard on fire. I was like, oh my God, like in Birds of Prey, he goes, you're the only one that's gotten it so far. And I was like, yeah. I like how like, I mean, whatever, this might sound weird, but I like how casually they throw away men's bodies in this movie, Um, (laughs) which is usually a thing that happens to women in movies. Like- like when when Black Mask died in the movie, I was not expecting him to die at that moment. I was not expecting him to just blow up and that's it. I was just like, oh my god, that was just like it. He's just like gone. Okay, <laughs> like that. Like that's something that usually is reserved for women in movies. Like to just be like, okay, yeah. they're fridged. Okay, they're gone. Like fuck them. Never see them again. Yet I remember every single traumatic 
one, <laughs> like of an important female character who just gets tossed away. Yeah, I know. So it's like, it was really interesting to see that in the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like a lot of times thugs in general get just tossed away. <laughs> sure, sure. To thugs. be fair. <laughs> henchmen. But, yeah, henchmen, thugs, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, not that I'm here for anyone's body being thrown away, but I'm just saying it was interesting yeah. to see the opposite mm-hmm. of that. Um, yeah, it was just also awesome to see her, like, just, like, you know, like, doing flips and, like, kicking mm-hmm. everyone's ass, like, by herself. Because that's real. I mean, like, in the comic books, that's what she was like. Because, like, Ivy gave her that, like, serum to make her stronger. Sure. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like i'm like oh that's why she was part of the suicide squad because there was no like none of the people in suicide squad i was like why are any of them in this movie how are any of them gonna defeat the bad guys by themselves or together yeah i didn't i I didn't see it oh good i'll I'll see it eventually maybe i don't know time with that one um, I also really liked when it was such a cool move when the huntress when they were sliding down that giant slide, like atta- like attached to the top of it and then dropped onto a bad guy and just stabbed him. And I'm like, whoa, you can do that? Have you That's ever crazy. done that in a fun slide before? Who do you think I am? Jenny, huntress? you're missing out. Jenny, I know, I love that Harley was like, you're a badass. <laughs> that's that's so wild oh my god yeah and i loved um all of like the breaking of the fourth wall where Mm -hmm. harley would just like all of a sudden look at us and just be like god damn it (laughs) 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 um and then she would do like random psychological analysis analyses analyses yeah analyses um i think yeah like during roman's standard monologue that every villain does i also liked when she when cassandra kane was like how do i become like you like just like you and she's like you can't uh because <laughs> no one's like me uh which i really i like i like that message because she went through her entire history and like that's true no one has lived the life that you have lived yeah i obviously love bruce because that's just my dogs um <laughs> her just like kissing them and stuff um and i cannot remember what the beaver's name is but i love i was like laughing so hard because the beaver is in her like comic book that amanda yes. connor and uh jimmy G- palmiotti did yes mm-hmm. do you remember the name of the beaver i don't remember the name of beater i'll have to pull a comic book from someplace but the entire time i was like oh my god the beaver's in it and my I, know, I was like, like what, what? I was like, this- <laughs> And I love that she's still, they don't show quite as much, but she does have conversations with this beaver, like, Mm -hmm. even though he's not, he's responding to her, but he's not responding to her, you you know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's like an inner, I don't even know. It's like an inner Yeah, it's like an inner inner dialogue. Inner dialogue. It is with another person, technically. Yes. Um, another I another loved, beaver. Uh whenever a new person would show up and it would be like list of grievance. <laughs> um and I 
I was, I was, I'm sure you guys are dying at the voted for Bernie. Yes. Um, and I, I said to Ben, I'm like, I wonder how many people who like adore Harley Quinn will vote for Bernie because of this movie. <laughs> and I also, I, as I was watching that, I was like, I know a ton of fanboys that are going to be butthurt, not only for this movie, but they're going to see voted for Bernie and they're like, uh. Yeah, I think there's been like articles about it. I'm like, just cover shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, Here for it's not it. a big deal. <laughs> yes, I support it. Also, it's funny because like I- I've seen articles that are like, how did Harley Quinn vote? Because ex cons, a lot of them cannot vote in our country. And like, maybe this is like a future world where Bernie is already the president. I think there are two states where you can vote if you've been convicted. If you've been if you've been convicted and served your time once you're released you can then register to vote and vote and i think they're both bernie states like vermont or new hampshire or some <laughs> shit like that so some shit like that some shit like that i'm sorry <laughs> p.s everyone um, should be able to vote even if they're in prison anyway <laughs> um, what was your favorite list of grievance uh frito collar looking motherfucker that was pretty funny <laughs> that one was hilarious i felt so <laughs> Oh, I couldn't stop laughing at that one. Um, I think that one was the best because it was unfortunately very accurate <laughs> because it's like every grievance she like did a doodle over them. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was uh, interesting that one of the people who had a grievance against her was mad at her because Joker tattooed his face. I'm like, okay. Uh, so sorry that you can't attack the Joker, so you have to attack his <laughs> ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, and of, of course the classic, because she has a vagina, that <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are mad. <laughs> well, for me, some of my favorite scenes were well, for one, roller derby, because as you know, I love, absolutely love, love, love roller derby, even though every single move that she did was illegal, which, <laughs> you know, don't put it past her, it's Harley Quinn, I mean, she does what you can do, but you're technically not supposed to move your arms like that, and whipping it is also illegal, that was ruled out years ago, um, but roller derby is a woman-led sport, and it's... She was skating inline track. I follow flat track, but if you ever get a chance to go to a local roller derby game, I absolutely support you doing it or encourage you doing it because it's the most fun I've ever had at any sports game. And I think it's because the energy is so much more fun and it's much more of a welcoming and inclusive community that seeing Harley in this roller derby league, which he finds also in the comic books after like, her revelation of leaving the Joker for good, it, it it's really nice. And I got into roller derby and joined it being part of the league, like, as I was also exiting that toxic relationship I had. So, you know. How, how violent is it actually? Oh, it's not so bad. Like, a bone <laughs> breaks occasionally during a game. But <laughs> Lovely. Like, Your teeth are lost. Uh, you know, I've not seen any toothless skaters. I've seen someone lose a tooth walking into a doorway. So, like, <laughs> walking, like, also, you're insured. You have to have insurance through the league. Oh. You have okay. a contract. There are dues that are to be paid. Legit. It's a legitimate <laughs> sport. Mm-hmm. So, 
that that's one of my favorite scenes and also like anything any scene that had to do with dinah because she was just all around badass like like the scene where she uh, is rescuing harley from being date rape which is one of the grossest things ever like her that fight scene where she's kicking those guys asses i was like thank goodness for women like honestly i also this scene was in the uh ads but like i also really liked the scene where i just really liked huntress and her whole trying to be cool and us kind of seeing behind the scenes of her trying to perfect her last words and also like when people like call her crossbow or bow and arrow she gets so mad um it was it's just so good i'm not 12 okay (laughs) you know whenever when she said that i was like damn no, I want a real crossbow. Like, what am I doing using a bow and arrow? <laughs> Not an elf. <laughs> ah! Yeah. I, lo- I love that she was like, <laughs> she's like, this girl's got rage issues. And she's like, I don't have rage issues. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> Dina's Dina's face was perfect. Yeah. Uh, so moving on. Um, so then, so the first thing we want to talk about is uh, basically like Harley's intro where I think it was really amazing that they didn't show the Joker at all throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, they showed, like, I don't know, the back of his head, like, once or something like that. But they right. basically just, like, showed the cycle of abuse and everything as, like, a cartoon, mm-hmm. which was, was an interesting way to do it because, like, part of me feels like, oh, that makes it kind of, like, it's funny because it's a cartoon. Mm-hmm. But the other part of me is like, no, I mean, they showed it being abusive and her crying and it was a really good way of like summarizing it and not making the whole movie about the Joker. Right. What did you think about that opening? Yeah, it's interesting because she talks about her father leaving her and then, and then her just coming back. And so the whole thing is played for laughs, even though it's a very sad story and I feel like it's just how she sees it. And so I thought that it was fine. It was like a really interesting way to show her past in a concise and fun way. Because it's a fun movie. They're, it's not particularly like heavy or anything. For, for how heavy it actually is, it's not that yeah. heavy. Which is yeah. really what Harley Quinn is. Yeah. And like that... I mean, I, it's kind of brilliant because like that is how people have viewed her forever. Like, oh, like this character is so funny and like silly and chaotic and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, actually, it's like very traumatic. Right. And a lot of people that are, that do end up being very funny or lighthearted are usually the ones that have a lot going on in their lives. And they use comedy as a way of coping with trauma and stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah, so then, like, as Akita was mentioning, like, you know, she leaves the Joker and does her own thing, like, joins, like, roller derby and everything. Um, I thought it was amazing that they showed her roller derby friends basically, like, talking about how, oh, yeah, she's just going to end up with the Joker again. So that she basically didn't end up wanting to tell anyone that they were even not together anymore because she was feeling so much shame about it. And, like, she told Dinah randomly because she was, like, super drunk. And that's like something we talked about in our last or in our second to last episode about unhealthy romanticized relationships. Uh, it was just it's a really good way of showing the cycle of abuse. Right. So I like that a lot. Um, and then I I almost started crying when she blowed up the chemical 
plant because it was like so uh, cathartic mm-hmm. and like so fucking real. Like she like rips off the fucking necklace and then it's, I mean, it was beautiful. It was like from her point of view, it was, it looked like fireworks and like all these like bright, beautiful colors and like this is the end of this fucking horrible chapter of my life. But then when you went to um, Renee's point of view of the explosion, it was like right. a horror show, which is what it must have looked like, actually, like to everyone, because it was like a fucking chemical plant exploding. Yeah. So. I was just thinking about, you know, that thing where you can see like smells as colors and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be interesting if she had that. Synthanasia? Uh, yeah. Oh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I just thought of it. I just I just loved how drastically different the explosion looked from Harley's point of view versus mm-hmm. the rest yeah. of the city's point of view. I also, I wanted to go into the female friendship that's in this movie, because I think they do it in a really genuine way, in a way that is, like, not super forced and unique within each relationship. Like when Harley, Harley and Black Canary like bond a little bit, and then afterwards, like you were mentioning before, like Dinah ends up saving Harley, and then later they run into each other again. And I don't remember what Harley says to Dinah, but but Black Canary's just like, "Oh yeah, you're that girl no one likes," <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, hmm, "Yeah, that's accurate." <laughs> yeah, the the dialogue is actually genuinely funny. Unlike in like Suicide Squad, him, <clears throat> um, <laughs> and like I like how I like the relationship obviously between Harley and Cassandra, because as Harley says, Cassa- Cassandra makes Harley want to be a less shitty person. <laughs> I think referencing the fact that she what she she said she was a shitty person earlier. Yeah, I love that Cassandra has no idea who the Joker is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like when Harley's like talk about him, she's just like, sounds like a dick, mm-hmm. which is like something like any of your friends would say about someone who treated you real shitty. Yeah, she delegitimizes him by breaking the perception that he has control over everyone and everyone knows who he is. Yeah, and like to awesome. her, like she knows who Harley is because Harley is like the badass roller derby player. Exactly. So it's like, oh, I'm like the cool one. <laughs> yeah yeah and they'll have like little moments throughout the throughout the movie more towards the end where they'll just like start complimenting each other <laughs> about things which is something you don't see ever no. yeah i the end the very end scene or well not well i don't think it's the end scene whatever when they're like at the diner and they're like complimenting yeah. each other like i fucking love that huntress was just like like you could see the anxiety in her brain, like, oh my god, come up with things to compliment them. Like she was like, I love how you like wore pants while kicking ass or whatever. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Tight pants. Yes, pants. yes, yes. Also, this is like not the best example of female friendship because they're technically doing some crime, some illegal activity, but it shows a female friendship in a non-jealous, non-competitive, and not centered around a man type of way Mm -hmm. which you don't see in a lot of movies and it's very upsetting and it's it's sad to say that this is refreshing in a way to be able to see a movie that's not centered around centered around this like love interest of a man but i enjoy it even in superhero movies like there are still like women who only talk about their love interest and i'm like how 
<laughs> be gay, do crimes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. And and the reason why these female friendships are written so well is probably because, uh, the movie's written from the female gaze, G A Z E. Um, <laughs> And uh, because it's written by women, it's directed by women, it's produced by women, uh, generally. And, like, we don't have the same, like, sexy shots that we see in other movies. <laughs> Suicide Squad. Squad. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, Suicide Squad. As shitty as it is, I still enjoy watching that movie, mostly because it is shitty. But all of Harley's costumes... Her, actually, her only costume that she ever gets to fucking wear outside of her, like, orange jumpsuit is just so cringe. Yeah, yeah. and also, like, her, um, what's that video game? Arkham? Uh, oh, Arkham, se- Arkham Sessions? No, yeah, that's the, no, no. no. Arkham no. Asylum. Arkham Asylum, yeah. like, her outfit in that is just, what the fuck? It's just, like, a, it's a corset that doesn't even, like, close <laughs> and, like, I don't need- Is it even bulletproof? <laughs> I don't know, but I love that she I love that she um tell that she has uh Renee wear that and she's like I was, she yeah. I, was- <laughs> I was worried there for a second, but like they fucking sneaked it in. Yes. I'm like, oh thank god. <laughs> but no, going back to the whole female gaze versus the male gaze, it's like a lot of the shots in Suicide Squad were like like her face was at the top of the screen, but center of the screen were her boobs. Whereas in Birds of Prey, Harley's face was the center of the screen, not her tits. Mm-hmm. It was like seeing her face, seeing her emotions, seeing her react to things, as opposed to just only focusing on her body. Whereas the other characters in this in Suicide Squad got to all those facial shots, but because she's a woman, who cares? Just look at the tits. Yeah, and the clothing. No, there were shots of her butt, too. Come on. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, It's okay for women to be sexualized as long as it's, like, because they want to be. And this movie did, like, this movie was like, yeah, they're they're sexy, but it's not going to be because, like, men need to only like them because they're sexy. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, like, the clothing was, like, super fun and functional. I... I was like almost screaming during the Marilyn Monroe. Uh, oh my gosh. Diamonds are gold. Yes. Yeah. During that scene, because I was just like, oh my God, they turned her dress into a jumpsuit. So fun. So good. And I was, and and I was like, Arkita's 100% going to make that. <laughs> that was the first one that I wanted to make. And I said to Jenny, there's something I want to make in this, but I don't know if it's appropriate. And I was like, what are you saying, it Jenny? Is, yeah, it is the scene where he she gets slapped. But um, I was like, I was gonna say like usually they do the slow pan down the body for the male gaze shots, and they do a slow pan down in that shot, but to reveal the pants, so which good. is good. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, <laughs> yes, pretty good. Uh, Not only that, like the whole hair situation. For, like, for Suicide Squad to Harley now, like, nobody's hair is perfectly freaking pressed <laughs> while you're fighting. Or at, at any point, also, at one point, did she get out of jail or get out of her solitary confinement and find a flat iron? <laughs> when? Please tell me when, because I want to be introduced to this. Because, like, 
in this movie you see where she lives you in birds of prey i'm referring to you see where she lives she goes through this very hard breakup and like a lot of people do with or a lot of women do with breakup you know it's time to change the hair i've done it i spent a lot of time changing my hair even now i still change my hair color i love i love that she just like chopped her hair off again not male gaze because men need the hair to be like long and flowy with, yeah like, <laughs> beautiful and blah, blah blah it's like look short hair fucking rules <laughs> functional yeah, it's not a tresemme commercial <laughs> also it's, it's like how is she gonna fight with pigtails that are like super long getting in her eyes all the time no yeah like the scene where she throws dinah a hair tie she's That's the- it's you can see the frustration and i think they put that scene in to prove just how ridiculous it is to have women in these fight scenes with long hair where do you think the hair goes physics doesn't <laughs> keep it away from your face if you are fighting and kicking people and bending over, your hair is getting in your way. And so the scene where Harley was like, hey, your hair is in the way. Have a hair tie. Like, Mwah, chef's kiss. That Yeah, that 100% chef's kiss moment. Also, so then so then with Renee Montoya, um, who later becomes the question in comic book series, but whatever. Um, with Renee Montoya, um, I love that they, like, she was she's gay, but they aren't, like, Oh my god, she's gay. Let me make two lesbians in this movie make out with each other. Which is like what 100% would have happened if it wasn't directed by women. Right. Um, It's not a big deal. They're just like, oh yeah, she's my ex-girlfriend or ex-wife. And it's kind of weird to see Ali Wong in this movie in Mm -hmm. a pretty non-comedic role. It was like, oh, she's here. Why not? Yeah, I, I, I loved that aspect. Uh, I also like. I mean, as an alcoholic, I appreciated that they kept her an alcoholic in this in this movie because she is one in the comic book series. Um, and I guess that they're implying in this movie that the reason why she became one is because she got passed over for the job um, because the her partner took credit for her role. I'm, yeah. Well, I'm sure it's like that plus a, just a continuous series of microaggressions. Yeah. Um, yeah. and there, yeah, so basically, like, I did, like, some research on it, and apparently only 12% of cops are women, mm-hmm. and only 3%, 3% of chiefs are women, and 1 in 10 are managers, or, like, higher-ups of some sort, um, which is, like, so she, I imagine if you are a female officer, you do constantly feel microaggressions and, like research has shown that women on the force do feel like there are microaggressions against them. And also like, I mean, the reason why it'd be better to have more women cops is because they are less likely to view aggressive, aggressive tactics. Uh, As necessary. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I want to say about cops. <laughs> I've got some stuff to say God, about okay. cops. <laughs> but before I get into that, I want to like, kind of piggyback off what you were saying about like aggression and kind of delve into female aggression and unladylike behavior which you do see a lot of just not only throughout the movie but specifically in the case of Huntress or Helena Bertinelli so this is a quote that I found online I don't even know where I found it it was like on some reddit post and it said anger can be empowering if you know what's emotionally healthy and what's not and 
I think that it's important to understand that you shouldn't suppress your anger. In relation to Huntress, she is a very fueled by anger person because of what's happened in her traumatic childhood experience. Um, and like, it's nice to see women experiencing rage, like we mentioned yes. earlier. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, I think it's cool to see women with rage issues on it screen. Is. Anger is typically deemed as a masculine emotion, but we're all human and we all experience anger at some point or another. It's just the way that anger in a woman is perceived um, because of social expectations versus a male. Like growing up, girls receive more negative feedback when they portray aggressive behaviors or aggressive emotions versus boys. And mm -hmm. they're seen as toxic and acceptable the older that they get, which then leads to indirect aggression. And it's more socially acceptable for women to be perceived as passive aggressive than as aggressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that um, it's because like our society, like it doesn't like allow men to like show like quote unquote like weaknesses like crying and like those and like emotions like that. Whereas women are supposed to show those type of emotions. So like men are supposed to only show like aggressive emotions and women aren't. Right. When there should be a healthy mix. Yep. Of Everyone both. should show both. <laughs> <laughs> and being and genderizing emotions like that only make it harder because you're only reinforcing societal gender norms and growing up in those norms can end up becoming very toxic. So basically, anger tells us that we've been mistreated or hurt in some way. When we don't feel ashamed of our anger, it can help us notice our needs and cultivate self-care, which is why it's so good not to hide your anger, um, because mm -hmm. it creates consequences, like bottling it up, for example, which is a term everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. Chronic anger uh, can lead to health concerns like insomnia, anxiety, depression. Unresolved and unexpressed anger can lead to unhealthy, unhealthy behaviors like substance abuse, overeating, and overspending. Um, like we see like Renee Montoya with her alcoholism. Right. And ways to counteract that, that are healthier ways to express anger, especially when you have to communicate with that person that has hurt or mistreated you is using I statements. Yeah, that way you're like not projecting with you yes. statements. Like another proactive way of using your anger for good if it's not possible to confront the person that is causing this is directing it towards activism, which I feel is something that happens a lot within the Black community because there is so much injustice towards Black people, especially within America, that protesting and becoming involved in local government and council is a way of kind of counteracting it. Mm -hmm. That is one way of being able to channel your anger. So it's creating a better outcome for the future. Yeah. And another way to channel that is to share your situation with other people who have also survived trauma, like abuse, assault, death of a loved one, so that they know that they're not alone and that can make you feel more empowered. Yeah, like I know that with myself, I mean, I, be I believe I mentioned this on a previous episode, but like I had really bad anger issues um, and nobody really understood them because nobody understood that I had trauma and anxiety. And once I opened up about them, my anger issues definitely went down more. And it's frustrating because you like it, 
it sucks to feel like you have to open up about those things for people to understand you and like, almost like respect you. But at the same time, like if you're the one having like outbursts of anger, then you kind of have to open up at some point. Yeah. And it goes hand in hand with the bottling it up because that that's another part that's tied to the anger issues. And I also speak as someone who has some really bad anger issues where I tend to just keep it all inside. And one of the side effects for me when I'm very angry and I just let it sit there is I don't sleep at night and I do get depressed and I get I get even more anxious than I already am. And then I just like, like, I think generally I can be a very cheerful person, but when I'm angry, I will stay angry for weeks and it just ruins my entire demeanor. And it like, it continues to spiral from anger to hate to, to rage to depression. And unless I find ways to counteract that, like talking to my therapist or then confronting the person that has made me angry, it, it won't change, which is why I'm going to the office tomorrow. (laughs) So, obviously, the way that the Huntress channels her anger is through revenge, vengeance. And um, Harley Quinn does say, psychologically speaking, vengeance rarely brings the catharsis we hope for. Oh, and yeah, I- that was the quote. <laughs> yes. Um, and, I, I, and I was curious because I was wondering if it does. And the research is not like particularly uh, strong in the subject of vengeance because I guess there's no money in that. But generally, from the few studies that have been done, people who take vengeance don't usually feel that much better because they have feelings of guilt and things like that after. Also, I think it makes the obsession worse. Right. Because you're not trying to heal yourself. You're focused on hurting someone else. Right. As Francis Bacon once said, I don't know who that is. I think it's an important person. Um, How many degrees of separation from Kevin? (laughs) (laughs) A man that... This is is an old dude, you can tell. A man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds... Keeps his own wounds green, which otherwise would heal and do well. That's an old-ass quote. Um, <laughs> but basically exactly what you said and sometimes people do find it satisfying usually if they see that the offender ha- is also suffering um, and especially if the s- offender knows why they are suffering and that you caused it <laughs> um, and that's when the uh, vengeance, the catharsis that you feel is higher. So that in in the movie, Huntress has to say, do you remember who I am? Because she needs to know that they know who the fuck killed them right before they died. But I also feel like it becomes like their, like, like their, whole purpose for being like that's, that's funny like that's like <laughs> yeah i mean like i i mean like i'm not gonna go into it but like personal experience from someone being horrible to me like mm-hmm. and making like literally their entire life about this like like the yeah like it's almost as if like once they have their revenge there's nothing else for them so it doesn't actually do anything but keep them obsessed in it and and want to like keep going if that mm-hmm. makes any sense like keep going with the revenge even though it's like okay right. well i've already done the thing but i don't know what else to do so i'm just gonna keep fucking uh hurting right um 
for the huntress, it's like her whole life. Yeah. She doesn't do anything else. And she just focuses on training to be the kind of person who can assassinate those people who uh, did her wrong. Yeah, like you, you need to focus on healing. That's why therapy is great. <laughs> she definitely would have done well with some therapy. But I feel like I'm not saying this is completely comparative to therapy, but at the end, she ends up joining the Birds of Prey, and I think she she she's going to have to learn and is learning that the revenge is over, and now she has to find new and better ways of coping and existing. Yeah. That's true. And I think she could never go back to a normal life anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. this no, is the possible killer. She's killed a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the Huntress! <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, that. this is the logical, like, conclusion to, now that she's done with her killing spree, she has to move on to, like, do, getting justice for other people like her, or like her younger self. And a lot of people who, um, get, want revenge, want to gain back the power that they lost. Yeah. Sticking on to the topic of Huntress, we know that she's a very awkward and lacks confidence within herself which is why we see so many takes of her in like the bathroom mirror saying do you know who i am do mm-hmm. you know who i am and i feel like so much of that resonates with me as a woman because a few weeks ago we did the i am remarkable google workshop and mm-hmm. in my head i'm like okay huntress you just trained to become an assassin take down all these people who Killed your family, and then not only that, are now, like, part of a vigilante group taking out bad guys of of Gotham. Do you know who you are? Like, you are remarkable. Huntress <laughs> better write that down. I am remarkable. <laughs> hashtag Huntress is mar- remarkable. That's so cute. Is that our hashtag? <laughs> yes. Amazing. But it, it's the truth, because it's, I in so many instances, like, just in the workshop alone, like, There's so many of us that do all these amazing things and for some reason can't talk ourselves up or have the confidence to say, I did that. I'm really good at this. Just like Huntress Mm -hmm. is so hard at being like, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I'm Huntress. Like, I don't know. That was just something that resonated with me a lot because you don't see that in a lot of male-driven superhero movies. So I thought, well, that's because most of the male-driven superheroes are white men so they're already confident so like (laughs) carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man (laughs) yes correct yeah and i wanted to briefly just talk about like talking about like really complex characters that are in this movie they're complex and they're a lot of them are morally ambiguous or quote-unquote bad woman uh which you don't actually see a lot of in terms of like them being anti-heroes because they're usually just good girls or villains mm-hmm. and like just to define what an anti-hero is because it is a little vague it's a it's a protagonist in a story who lacks conventional heroic qualities and attributes such as idealism courage and morality <laughs> and obviously like the he- definition of a hero has kind of like expanded beyond that um but the more morally ambiguous heroes would be defined as anti-heroes and most of my favorite characters are anti-heroes right so uh the most 
basic obstacle that comes with setting up a female antihero is that we want to be sympathetic to the antihero and we see them as likable despite their moral ambiguity. And there seems to be a problem with audiences <laughs> viewing them as likable when they are not quite, like, perfect. I don't watch Breaking Bad, but I remember seeing a lot of criticism around Skylar White mm. um, and how her reaction to her husband being a drug lord was unlikable when it was just realistic. Yeah. Um. So it's just interesting to see that. Yeah, and while I don't want to focus too deeply on this in this episode because we are doing an episode with Andrea Letamendi on borderline personality disorder... One of the reasons why why she can be viewed as unlikable is because um, she does exhibit symptoms of borderline, which is a very highly stigmatized disorder, um, which is why I only feel comfortable doing an episode on it with an actual psychologist on. So basically, borderline can often occur based on like early um, childhood trauma, which we see from mm-hmm. her being abandoned by her father and then abused by nuns. Yep. She also has PTSD and compounded trauma, both from the Joker and also from being in like solitary at Arkham and from like guards and stuff abusing her while um, in the prison or mental hospital, whichever one Arkham technically is, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever. Um, she has unstable relationships. Um, so basically, she goes from idealization, which is like, I'm so in love with the Joker, to devaluation, which is, I hate him. Very quickly, um, which is known as splitting, which we'll get much deeper into on this episode. She has impulsive self-destructive behavior, such as blowing up the chemical plant or like cutting her hair and getting tattoos um, immediately after her breakup. And she's like crying while she does those things. It's a little bit different than like, if you're like, okay, I'm ready to go to the salon. And then you're like, yeah, I look great. She's like not psyched when she's doing it. Self-harm. Um which is seen when she's like drinking to excess. One of the most telling scenes is when she disassociates when Black Mask slaps her. And that's when mm-hmm. she goes into the Marilyn Monroe scene where she's singing in her head. Yeah. Um, she has a fractured image of self where she like, it's basically when you like view yourself as like evil or shitty, which I, it was striking to me when she said to Cassandra that she, that Cassandra makes her want to be less shitty instead of, a better person. Mm-hmm. Just like the wording and that um, made me feel that way. Like when she was talking about her relationship with Mr. J and saying no one can be like her, like people with BPD tend to feel extremely misunderstood and like no one in the world is like them. Um, which like, yes, I understand in that scenario. Yeah. Like no one's quite like Harley. Um, <laughs> but as we talked about on the, unhealthy romanticized relationship episode there are plenty of people who have been through horribly abusive experiences um she has like a fight or flight mentality some things that help with that would be like mindfulness practices and learning to tolerate your emotions which we've talked about a lot in this episode like feel your feelings what's what exactly is a fight or flight mentality so fight fighter a fight or flight response um basically occurs when someone like perceives an event as harmful or like an attack or a threat to survival. So do they just like have that a lot? Yeah. It's basically like instead of being able to have like, like a healthy conversation about what's happening, like your instinct just immediately takes over. 
I see what you mean. Because yes. you don't, when you have borderline personality, you have a very hard time um, having control of your feelings. The last thing I wanted to say about borderline uh, is the most successful way to get help is dialectical behavioral therapy, also known as DBT, mm-hmm. uh, which is a type of cognitive a type of cognitive behavioral therapy um, with the goals to teach people how to live in the moment, cope healthily with stress, regulate emotions, and improve relationships with others. Basically, um, by doing like, you basically uh, do, you do homework when you're doing this. Like they give you like worksheets and everything on mindfulness, distress tolerance, interpersonal effectiveness, and emotional regulation. When I was in DBT, uh, it was very overwhelming because it was the first time I had ever done therapy. And I just like went, tried to dive straight into that. And, um, I guess whatever regular therapy is. Uh, <laughs> and so like if you're, if you're not doing the homework, um, it, you can start feeling like very shameful and it makes it much harder to like do that work because the whole thing is about regulating your emotions. Mm-hmm. I just, I never heard of Borderline until a couple of years ago, and I was like, oh my god, that resonates so deeply with me. The last thing I wanted to say about uh, the Huntress was, and also, and all of them have, like, childhood trauma, like you mentioned, um, but uh, the Huntress specifically witnessed her family death, and I did some research on the effect of trauma especially the trauma of children experiencing the sudden loss of family. So children who have a parent die suddenly has three times the risk of depression than those with two living parents, uh, along with an increased risk of PTSD, which makes sense to me. Yeah. And in order to get over family death, children have to go through a reconciliation process, which includes accepting the reality of the loss for fully expressing the emotional distress of the loss um adjusting to to the environment and sense of self without the loved ones and just like engaging with the adults and other people around them who can provide comfort and security and a lot of children who not only lose their parents but they also experience uh trauma at the same time as well as other extremely jarring moments like moving to a different location or with other people like it can all kind of coalesce into childhood traumatic grief which can prevent a child from moving on and you can kind of see this with helena being unable to move on from her family uh family's death obviously there's an element of there's people out there that are responsible and need we need to have revenge against but there's also the compounded trauma of everything that happened and they get stuck reliving these moments and being unable to like remember happy moments with their family without thinking of like the final moments of death um so these are just things that a lot of children go through when they have when experience childhood trauma not quite the same but i feel like we kind of talked about that on the grief episode um where like like at the end of um inside out when the bubbles are like half one color and half another color because you're experiencing sadness at the same time as happiness like any of the memories that like you previously thought were happy like now you're sad about them Bet you right. 
And I will say that at the, towards the end of the movie, during the big fight scene, when they're fighting off Sionis and all of his goons, um, Helena does give Cassandra the purple car that her brother gave oh! and says, you do not, you're, you're too young to be seeing this. Hold on to this and you'll feel safe. So she does, she does have some understanding of what's happened to her and that this isn't something she would want another child to be put through. So I think that's like a moment of, growth and moving forward for her i don't know if she had any type of therapy because if not she was like doomed (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so another important character that has also experienced a lot of trauma especially at the hands of gcpd would be dinah lance because we learned that she we learned earlier on in the film that she loses her mother who was working closely with gcpd um and they didn't save her, like, didn't protect her. They didn't protect her or save her. And according to Montoya, that would have never happened on her watch, which I in partly believe because she seems like she would have been a very competent cop. But you can't really <laughs> say. You can't. Yeah. I know. It's hard. Don't trust cops. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about generational trauma in the justice system. So I want to talk about generational trauma within the criminal justice system, which is a very difficult topic for me to talk about as a Black woman living in America, especially in New York City, which is an over-policed city within minority neighborhoods such as mine. Um, mm-hmm. You see in the film that Diana does not live in a rich suburban neighborhood. She lives in an apartment building where it's a neighborhood that is not predominantly white. It is mixture of black asian and latino or latinx people within that within her community also you find within those communities that is where you see a lot more police activity where they tend to target more minorities and few statistics i found on the internet but you i feel like it doesn't take that much research to know that these facts are very true like one in every 1000 black male is shot by police. And that is one of the leading causes of death among Black men within America just alone. Yeah, I think a very relevant example of this would be like um, stop and frisk, which is something mm-hmm. we're hearing a lot about right now with Bloomberg running. If you lived in New right. York, this is something that you you just know. Yeah. But if you don't, because social media wasn't a very big thing then, um you're now hearing about basically like black and brown people were, were stopped 5 million times throughout uh, his span as mayor. And it was extremely obviously, like obviously disproportionately affecting black and brown people instead of white people in New York City, which is supposed to be the most diverse city in the country. Mm-hmm. And like stop and frisk basically caused like intense PTSD amongst people in the community because they were just constantly afraid of just if you leave your house, you're going to get shoved up against a wall by a police officer, even if you don't have anything on you. Because there were mm-hmm. the arrests made were like 20% at most, and there were minor drug charges usually. So it makes sense for someone like Dinah, whose mother was killed and not protected by the police, to have a great distrust of the system. Right. And you'll hear a lot about police shooting people in their own homes because they think they're an intruder and their families have to either experience that or come home to that so of course like there's gonna be a distrust 
Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, the the I mean, like we're obviously talking about like Botham Jean and um, I mean, there's a there's a Trayvon Martin. I mean, there's a million. Not a uh, Tatiana. Yeah, who she was like playing video games with her nephew, and he just bust open the door and killed her. But it's interesting because like the Black Lives Matter community is seen as like a black nationalist hate group when actually it's just trying to bring to light like injustices by the police. And it actually started the year after Bloomberg left office is a direct effect of all the stop and frisk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Boston University School of Health and University of Pennsylvania released a study that found that the high rate of unarmed African Americans being killed at the hands of police has caused more incidents of depression, stress, and other mental health issues among um, blacks. So what it's trying to say is that the overwhelming amount of police brutality that Black and African American have to face affects you whether or not you are, you're experiencing or not, because you know that at any moment that you step outside, that you could be next. And it's, it's so hard because you think of yourself, even if you're not someone that does anything like as what everyone considers or what they want to consider for black people is to be like the perfect victim where they're unarmed, they complied, they did everything correctly. But at the end of the day, and you know that as as a black person, even if you do all of these things, your life is still at risk because there are so many innocent people that still get killed at the hands of police, even if they comply. And so many of them end up being black Americans. Yeah, I, um, on my like weekly puffcast thing that I do on Instagram where I talk to people about like Hogwarts houses and their mental health. I just spoke to my friend Nicole, who's a Slytherin, about basically how being a Slytherin mom of a young black child has like affected her. And so she she went into how basically like like while she was pregnant before her child was even born, she was like worried about him becoming a hashtag. And how she has had to have talks with him about how you interact with police properly and just all these conversations that a white parent would never even think of having to have. Um, mm-hmm. But that episode is on our Patreon, by the way, not to be whatever, but if you want to listen to it, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, Cause mm-hmm. like you're taught to respect police officers from an early age. Everyone is taught that. And so what do you do when the person that you're taught to respect just doesn't, doesn't respect you for the sure fact that you are born with black skin? Yes. Like, it's it's very hard to deal with that. And I will say that this is something I never even told. I'm sorry, it's very hard. It's okay. I Thank never you. even told my parents that when I was in high school, I was stopped by the police. <laughs> and it was a very scary experience. I was with my friends at the time. And it's me, my one friend. She's also Caribbean American like me. And then our other friend who is Filipino American and we're all brown. And there was like a report of, so my Filipino friend, she is also very much, much more light skinned than I am. So they had a report of four, four black girls that stole something on a train. And I'm like, okay, well, for one, there's three of us. Um, <laughs> one of us isn't even black. So why are we being stopped? And we were not allowed to leave the subway. We were told to stand there for at least 30 minutes. I 
probably was only like a junior in high school. And I remember like, I had just gotten this really nice watch from my dad. And I kept getting questioned about where'd you get this watch? How do you afford it? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, my dad's li- literally, I wanted to fucking tell this guy off. And I was like, you know what? Don't say anything. I'll just said it was a gift. But I'm like, um, I'm sorry. In my head, I wanted to be like, my dad's a fucking accountant for like large people, like make more than you do. So why are you <laughs> pulling me over and stopping me? I'm literally on my way to go. And this was me on my way to go to like the Bowery to buy tickets to see some band. And in my head, I was like, wow, I'm actually innocent right now. But who knows what could happen? Because this guy just wants to question me and assert his authority over me. And it's yeah something that I've honestly never... I don't think I've ever said this to anyone. And it's it was so scary because in my head, I'm like, I just want to get through the day. All I want is to do is see this band. Why am I being stopped by cops? Like, I've done nothing wrong. I'm really sorry that happened. Um, Thank you for sharing it with us, Arkita. That's fucking horrible. And it's just one of those reasons where it's like, they even realize that even though they're wrong because they've stopped the wrong person, <laughs> they still continue to do this. And it's like, you wonder why there's such a lack of justice because you allow so many actions like this to continue on. And then when it comes to light that they've actually done something wrong, instead of like saying, Oh, it's a few bad apples, like get rid of those people. Like you can't protect them. Yeah. I mean, that's why there are so many wrongfully incarcerated people in the system still, because even when judges and prosecutors and everyone realize they don't want to admit that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And so they don't let them go free. So they keep them in prison for <laughs> decades. So. Yeah, let's let's move on to something else because I hate thinking about cops. Yeah. Well, we haven't actually talked a lot about Cassandra Kane yet. Um, she does not partake in many of the action scenes, but <laughs> but she's a very important character with a diamond in her in her in her tummy. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah what's your favorite I part love, of this movie jenny yeah I, lo- I love that the whole movie the whole movie revolves around getting her to shit out a diamond uh which is very unladylike which i love yeah i um, it's so funny that you pointed that out i was like oh my god that's amazing like because <laughs> girls aren't supposed to poop <laughs> yeah yep I, I do like so. three times a day. I love talking about pooping, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I love this. Eat movie. a vegetable. Eat a vegetable. <laughs> um, so, what we wanted to talk about with Cassandra is the fact that she's in, in this movie that she is a foster child, uh, because we're mainly talking about uh, trauma related to children in this little section of our podcast. Uh, <laughs> so, people who don't know, like basically the prim- the primary goal of foster care is actually reunification with the family after like the family has gone through counseling or rehabilitation or whatever they need to do. It's not actually usually to just totally take away a kid and never give them back to the parent. Um, Mm -hmm. There's over 400,000 kids in foster care and a child in the U S is 15 times more likely to be abused in their home than in a foster home, which interesting. Yeah. I think that's, an interesting thing because most people view foster children as like, oh, like they're gonna like they're so bad and they're gonna get abused in foster care and like that's such a horrible system and blah blah. blah. And it's like, well, actually, like foster care is good because it's taking them away from abusive homes. A foster home is basically with family versus in the system still, right? Like, is there 
So there is, I mean, so there's different things. So basically, so basically like when you, when you go into foster care, like you're in a group home and then you can, so like kids can either be placed with a family. Mm -hmm. Um, There, there are situations where there's like emergency, emergency homes. And that's like, basically someone can sign up to be like, to have like their home available 24 seven for like, if there's like a child's abused and they need someone to go immediately and then someone will. Uh, like the police will take them there, yeah. Um, and like they're like sometimes they're there for like it, just like a couple nights to like a couple months. Uh, and then there's also like you can be you can go to a foster home for like a couple months to a couple years. Fostering to adopt is like the least likely. Obviously, mm-hmm. most kids who are in the foster care system are not eligible for adoption because, again, the goal is to reunite with a family, right? But there are over 100,000 kids in the foster system who are eligible to be adopted. Um, And only about 7,000 a year are adopted. Wow. That is nothing. That is, yes. It's really, really extremely low. Yeah. Um, uh, More than 20% of kids in in foster care are actually under age three. So if you're someone looking to have kids, please consider fostering it's better for the earth also uh (laughs) um foster parents also have like a whole team so you're not like doing it alone like depending on like if you're fostering to adopt or just fostering whatever like like there's caseworkers there's um educators there's mental health providers obviously the court is involved basically like if the child's biological parents are alive you you will have to usually encounter them um, and have a relationship with them. Uh, but like, none of these are bad things. It's not bad to have help. Like the old saying, like it takes a village to raise a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also have to like complete a certain amount of training every year, depending on the state that you're in, which again, not a bad thing. And all parents actually kind of should have to do that. <laughs> I think yeah. probably be less, <laughs> there, I think there'd be less kids in foster care if all parents had to do mandatory training. Just saying. Uh, um, so with Cassandra, she she's actually like a teenager who seems to be closer to aging out of the foster care system, which happens between ages um, 18 to 21. Well, I think she's like 13. She's 13? Okay. Yeah. Well, the, um, the older you are when you are in foster care, the less likely of a chance you have of being adopted, which right. makes sense because people want babies. So I want to talk about statistics here. Because it is actually just wild. Um, so twenty, so twenty three thousand kids age out every year, and twenty percent of them become instantly homeless. So seventy five percent of girls and thirty three percent of boys receive government benefits for basic needs, which is like as foster kids. No, when or? they age out. Oh, when they age out. Okay, when they age out. Um, only three percent who age out earn a college degree. And 25% graduate from high school or get a GED. 70% of the girls who don't get adopted through foster care get pregnant by age 21. That's a lot of girls. 60% of the boys become incarcerated. That's a lot of boys. Yes. One in two develop a substance abuse issue. Wow. Yeah. And 33% of kids who are in foster care have to change their schools five times or more, which is... I mean, I I don't know if you've ever had to change your school, but it is it can be very extreme on your mental health. Um, right. So, like, 
so like foster kids are they're taken out of violent homes so they are struggling with like missing their parents and living in a strange new environment they usually like a lot of them will have ptsd that isn't necessarily being treated um if a foster kid doesn't do well in a home it is usually not because the foster kid is like a bad kid which is like the misconception that i think a lot of people think but it's because like the foster family wasn't patient enough to allow for like the natural grieving process of all of these things. Right. They're not going to instantly behave and t- follow your rules as soon as you enter a new home. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people also um, probably have a problem with the concept of like a kid missing their biological parents. Right. I don't know. I'm a huge advocate of the foster care system. I, Whenever Ben and I are ready for kids, we're going to foster. It's just cool. fucking heartbreaking to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, when we when we broke up this episode on who was doing research for what, I was like, I'll do foster kids so I can cry. Oh, <laughs> and I think you get to cry. You get to cry. I did. I love I'm crying. Sorry. So I was gonna say, no, that's okay. A, I think it's an important thing for parents to understand because there is a lot of pent up resentment towards my mother because she would always say, "You could, I could drop you off and be in the foster care." Jeez, and, and it's one Jeez. of those things where. If I were to say this to her now, because I've told her a lot of abusive things she said to me, she's like, I would never say that. <laughs> and I'm like, the person that's saying that never remembers. It's the person that was said to that's left to remember it forever. So if yeah. you are a parent or thinking of becoming a parent, like, you don't want to be your child's first bully. So don't ever use, like, the foster care as a reason why you should tell your child to behave. Yikes. Yeah, that's... Yeah, my mom. That's terrible. My mom told me that uh, when I was fourteen, when she found out I had sex, uh, which I didn't even want to have sex, but whatever. Uh, instead of asking me how I felt, she told me that she was going to abandon my entire family because of me. Uh, <laughs> and I recently confronted her about it, and just like your mom, she said that never happened. But then she ended up apologizing, so that was that's good. That was good. But then she ended up telling me how much I hurt her. And I'm like, I was 14. It, yeah. There's no. <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> you cannot. I'm sorry. A 14 year old is never at fault. I'm sorry. They're not. No. <laughs> like, just. They're a child. You, as a parent, signed up for everything that happens throughout your childhood's life. Like, kids are difficult, but. I will always blame parents for how children turn out. Yes. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was very empathetic with her during this conversation, which I'm sure she appreciated. But it's just like, look, at the end at the end of the conversation, it is never the fourteen year old's fault. No. <laughs> Foster care is a fucking bummer. Let's yeah. adopt more kids. <laughs> Going back to Cassandra Kane, yeah. um, I don't know much about her other than she is a bat girl in the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know more about her, Akita? Um, no, that was a copy and paste. I'm sorry. If God you damn it, Akita! <laughs> I was like looking up things about Cassandra Kane, and I was like, I honestly don't know that much about her either. Well, sorry, I know a lot was... of people were like mad that her character was different. Yes, I do know that, but also at the same time, from whatever research I saw, like a lot of the traits about the original Cassandra Kane were kind of racist. So I'm kind of glad they did that. Um, like, yeah, she she didn't talk. She was mute. Uh, she was a martial is, arts master, which she is not at all in no. this. Um, so it's, it is kind of refreshing to see that, like, she doesn't like to follow the rules. She's a thief. She's <laughs> yeah. she's not a goody two-shoes. 
She's cool. As I saw earlier on the train, there was someone on with um a button that said the wrong Asian. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I will say, I, do, I mean, I do think it's a little problematic that they made her like a thief and stuff because she's a foster care kid, which oh, is right. not true. Right. For love of fuck, <laughs> not true. Um, I mean, it would have been cool to have like a mute character just because like if, if they were doing sign language and stuff but it's fucked up to have it be the asian character that's there's an asian character in the boys that is doesn't speak i think and oh, I yeah, was, i'm is. like nope no thank you goodbye yeah no <laughs> it should not be the uh, asian and doesn't character. have a fucking name <laughs> also little fun fact is the actress ella j basco is dante basco's niece who is rufio from hook <laughs> <laughs> Talent runs in this whole family? That's funny. Cassandra. Cassandra. Uh, We haven't talked a lot about Black Mask, a.k.a. Roman Sionist. I like him as a villain. But I like that he makes me uncomfortable. That makes him a good villain. He's a creepy, uh, (laughs) misogynistic, culturally appropriate white dude who we all fucking hate. (laughs) Yeah. They really made the like the men in this movie over the top like terrible, which is really I don't funny. think it was over the top terrible. I think it was a hundred percent accurate. Yep, that's true. That these men are terrible because these are the exact same men that exist in real life that are allowed to get away with things. And I think yeah. what made the movie so amazing is like you can't get away with it. I'm sorry. Yeah, what struck me as so sinister about him is how childish and how like unreasonable he is like he will cut off a woman's face because she has snot in her nose or he'll notice someone laughing across the room and think she's laughing at him got that scene like he is yeah uh i did some research i wanted to find the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation um and the oxford english dictionary defines cultural appropriation as the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the practices, customs, and aesthetics of one social or ethnic group by members of another, which is typically dominant, community or society. Um, you'll see any, like, tons of examples, like people wearing Navajo headdresses at music festivals, or white pop stars using quote unquote black scents, or like African American vernacular, or as everyone knows, stereotypes. Well, who are you saying? I was going to say, you said Gwen Stefani? <laughs> I, oh yeah, Gwen Stefani. I also was, I was shocked when I found out Ariana, Ariana Grande is a white woman. Go. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me? Wait, did you not know that? No, I mean, I've never listened to her, like, music or anything. I've just seen, like, photos of her. Oh. No, she just got on some adobo, that's it. Yeah, and I was like, what? No. So she's not Latin X. No, no, she's no, not. She's, she's Italian. like Italian. Holy shit. Wait, that's why when I was like, how did you not know? So I was referring to Jenny, not you, Danielle. I was like, oh, wait. okay. No, it was, I mean, when I found out about this, I was like, are you, is this, what? Why is everyone well, allowing this? I, why is everyone celebrating reason, this girl? <laughs> no, only reason I knew is because I used to watch Victorious on Nickelodeon. And she was pale as hell in the show. So I knew she, like, yeah. And, like, you just research her because that's what you do when you're a teenager and you have nothing else to do. You research every single actor. And Jenny is currently researching Ariana Grande. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I just... That's so interesting. Yep. 
I never realized. Yeah, she's like yeah. queen of cultural appropriation. Her and, her and Gwen Stefani. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I was going to be say King Kardashian too, but you Ooh, know. yeah. I like Kim Kardashian because she at least um, tries to get people out of prison. Yeah, I'll give her that. So as a rule, I think if you plan to borrow from another culture, whether it's food or fashion or whatever, you have to comprehend the significance of the tradition, acknowledge the source culture in a respectful manner, and like a couple of questions that are good to ask yourself when you think about whether something is cultural appreciation versus appropriation is do i understand the significance of the attire tradition or custom am i honoring the culture or am i just or am i just imitating it uh will my participation in a specific custom result in a cultural exchange or will will it just perpetuate stereotypes and hurt people Mm-hmm. who belong to the culture. And am I doing this as a personal opportunity to interact and experience another culture? Or am I just doing it for a photo for Instagram? Yeah, I think <laughs> um, like Day of the Dead makeup is a big one that people are very uh, torn about whether it is or isn't. Mm-hmm. It is. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and like you see that in... Roman obviously does not care about the cultures in which he has souvenirs and artifacts. Oh my from. god, when he's showing Dinah his, like, <laughs> the shrunken heads and stuff, I was like, I'm so uncomfortable and embarrassed right now. <laughs> like, I was also I sitting there with my Ecuadorian boyfriend. I was like, <laughs> as a white person, I was like, why are we like this? <laughs> like, just don't be. Yeah, one quote he says is, he's a thousand years old, and now he's just an ornament in my living room. Oh. Ew. Uh, 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 <laughs> so terrible. Uh. Yeah, if you if you go to someone's house and they have, um, what is the word for the, like, like the little, like, black dolls? They're, like, meant to, look- they're meant to, like, be black people. But I know what you're talking about. Oh, a gollywog? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to someone's house and find a gollywog, leave and take it. (laughs) Take it. (laughs) Just like, there's so many times when I go to a thrift store and I see that shit and I'm like, yeah, why? I throw blankets over them. I'm like, "Mm." yeah, I was there. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. What? Was this at that story one too? Yes. I didn't want you to Where see was it. I? I didn't want well, you to see it. I don't it. know. I want you to have a good time. You're really having a good time in the store. Thank so you. I was like, fuck this. She doesn't need to see this. She's on vacation. <laughs> Thank you for that. I... Yikes. Yeah. So while I was doing research, I couldn't find a lot about white people necessarily owning a lot of black or non-white art and artifacts. Because there's not a lot of research out there, but what there is a lot of research out there is how in a lot of like notable museums that a lot of the curation of African art is done by white people. And even just recently, like the whole Brooklyn Museum thing where they announced a new curator for the African section of their art was a white woman. And in my head, I'm like, did nobody watch that scene in Black Panther? (laughs) Did nobody see what happened to her? Okay. But it's one of those things where white curators are continuously given the power to choose and determine how we view African art. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things about African art, especially within, I keep saying Africa because those countries that were all divided up were divided up in like the late 1800s or 1980s 
And they had no regards to the people that they were splitting up or how they were dividing the land, or it was only based on what was meeting the needs for the European colonizers at the time. So throughout pre-colonized Africa, things were still traveling and moving. So when they say that they found XYZ piece of artifact, they're claiming that it's from this specific area when it, it could have not to say it couldn't have been from anywhere, but because everything was in constant movement, they're the ones kind of dictating where everything comes from, as opposed to actual Black people and actual people from Africa or from the countries within Africa who know who know their ancestry better. Yeah. Uh, something I love is that, um, I guess it's a tweet that's going around that's like, how are you going to steal Black people from Africa and then force us to take uh, 23andMe DNA? Yes! us <laughs> to pay yes! for uh, Like, that should be free yes! for us. <laughs> Uh, yeah like that's yes amazing or it was like how are you gonna steal people from africa and then force us to take a 23 and me test to show us where you stole us from yeah yeah and i'm like you're right and in my head i think this was the best thing i ever heard and sometimes i say it to like white people to make them uncomfortable (laughs) um (laughs) when they're going on and on about like where they came from i'm like you want to know what you'd find if you went back and far enough in my history some receipts for the people they bought. Yeah. And it's it's sad, but it's the honest truth. But getting back to African art and um cultural appropriation, one of the things that I found online, which is comes from like a French word, is negrophilia or negrophile. And it's basically the love and admiration of black culture, but still having the same racist sentiments towards black people. I.e. It's aware that this originated in France in like the early 1920s, but still resonates not only there, but now also in America. In France, they didn't originally mean for it to, they just meant like, I love black art or black culture. Yes. But we've like changed it to what it really means, (laughs) which is love the culture, but not love the people. Right. That seems kind of similar to me to like, how a lot of white people will kind of um glorify like all black women, you know what I mean? Be like all black women are queens and this not like and as if mm-hmm. that makes it so they are not racist, but it's actually like fetishizing right. black people. Let's not even get into fetishizing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Going off of that, there was the whole like the bondage the woman in bondage, like, painted right. on his wall. Well, that was literally, oh. yeah. That was literally yeah. fetishizing. That's also significant and, like, um, kind of, like, shows his, like, objectification of women, which is constant throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, he calls Dinah his little bird. Ugh. Gross. She looks like she's gonna vomit um, when that's happening. He literally forces a woman to dance on a table and take off her clothes. He, like, talks about owning Harley, now that Joker doesn't. He calls women bitches and, like, constantly underestimates them. Like, he tells his sidekick, you can handle two two women, right? No, he can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, God. Uh, yeah, and, like, speaking of his sidekick, Zaz, I, um, I, this was probably the only thing that I didn't like, um, that... They were queer coded, um, mm-hmm. which like implies that men who hate women are just secretly gay, right? Yeah, and it all and it also just makes it seem like gay people are villains. 
Uh, right. So I just, which is a problem. Yeah. In media. <laughs> yeah, it's a big problem. Uh, so like that, that was that was the only thing I didn't. That was the one and only thing I didn't like about the movie. Um, but what I yeah. did love is I love that it ended on Kesha's woman because like a lot of the movie like pretty much resonated with like the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Every song is by a woman mm-hmm. on the soundtrack. I will say that it's a very feminist, forward-thinking film, and it's great to see, or finally see, like, a female-led superhero movie. I say superhero movie within the genre of superhero movie, and Mm -hmm. seeing women as an anti-hero and not being like this walking the good line, always the lasso of truth. Yeah, they're allowed to be complex (laughs) in this movie. Um, The last thing that I want to say is that... Every single woman that I know that has seen this movie has posted a status about how fucking amazing it is and how everyone needs to see it. And the only critiques Mm -hmm. that I've seen have been from men. uh, And they're like, this movie is so boring or whatever. It's like, okay. (laughs) Or it's just all right. I'm like, no, it's fucking amazing. I don't know if every single woman is saying this movie is amazing. You're telling on yourself. If you're like, that's really (laughs) all it is. So no one cares about your opinion. We've had too too long of your opinion. I think here's the thing. The movie is not for you. Like, it, you can like it and enjoy it if you realize what it's about. But if you don't understand, it's not for you. Well, maybe it is for you and you should be learning some lessons from it. <laughs> because, because not every man dislikes this movie. In fact, a, a lot know, of them do like saying. it because they're able to be like, yep, a lot of guys are assholes. <laughs> yeah. And, and the women in it are fucking badasses. <laughs> so we fucking love this movie. A hundred stars, ninety nine stars because of the queer coding. Uh, <laughs> actually, um, okay. So uh, please take a moment to subscribe, review, and rate us. It's the easiest way to help support our podcast. Yeah, let us know what your favorite thing about our podcast is in a review on Apple Podcasts or on our Facebook page. If you want to chat about the episode, our social medias are Fandom and Wellness on Instagram, Fandom and Wellness on Facebook, and Fandom Wellness on Twitter. You can also find me at Classy Rebel Design on Instagram, and me at FanMailBox on Instagram, and me at Little Petal on Instagram. And if you want bonus content, you can join our fandom family at patreon.com slash fandom and wellness for Patreon exclusive geek sessions. We also just added an extra tier for the Puffcast because all of uh, those episodes are going up. So you can support us in multiple ways on our Patreon. (laughs) And remember, be kind and take no shit. Yeah. I'm not 12! (laughs) Ha ha!